Welcome to Art Pays Me. I'm excited to welcome the first rapper to Art Pays Me. I chat with 2019 Polaris Award winning artist Havaya Mighty about her latest project, The 13th Floor, and how it came to be. We talk about breaking through as an artist and how race and gender can impact your career. I asked her if music artists really need record labels in 2019. And I even got Havaya to share her top five rappers, dead or alive. She'll be in Halifax from uh, actually this weekend, October 23rd to 26th for Halifax Pop Explosion. So you get to experience her live. You know, you won't regret it. She's a great performer. I love her music, which is why I flagged her for the show. And um, yeah, and actually, don't forget that I'll be at Halifax Pop Explosion recording a live episode with Maje, who will be the second rapper to be on the show. So make sure to check that out at the Carlton on the 26th. Peace. What up, artist? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast, and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity. And, you know, maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much for taking some time out. (laughs) So look, I I came across your music on the lineup for Halifax Pop Explosion. And I was like, you know, I'm I'm a hip hop fan. So I just immediately look for the rappers. And uh, (laughs) I saw you and I was like, oh, let me check out the music. For some reason, I had never heard of you. So now I feel like I've been living under a rock. And I was like, oh, she's done all of this, and the music is dope, so congratulations. And I just basically Thank wanted you. to I just wanted to introduce my audience to you and, and um, get to share your story a bit. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Toronto, um, and I lived there until maybe I was... Uh, I was literally talking about this yesterday. I think I was between 8 and 10. I'm not sure. I couldn't figure it out. But between 8 and 10, I moved to Brampton. Um, and then that's where I still am. Um, but always still frequenting Toronto. So, yeah, the greater Toronto area is pretty much my, my own background. My own, everything I've seen growing up kind of thing. Got you. Got you. So, one thing that... Uh, I found interesting. I was listening to um, 13th Floor, and it, congratulations, a dope album. And Thank you. What, what, is, what is behind the name? The name 13th Floor? Okay, so it was interesting. I mean, initially I was thinking, like, what, you know, what is this album going to be about? There were 13 records, and I was trying to, like, you know, possibly take that numerology approach. Like, hmm, what, what does 13 mean? And uh, I did a little bit of research, and I learned a little bit about you know, the reason why we think that 13 is a, is a, is a bad number, like it's seen as the death card, um, in, in some regions and in some, like, particular types of understanding, but then for some people it's the rebirth card, and it's, you know, what I thought was interesting about it was, like, the way that you looked at something, kind of like half-glass full or half-flat empty concept. So that's kind of where my mind started to go, uh, just off of the strength of there being 13 records, and then I had a song called 13, uh, very 
very impactful record on the on, on the album, I would say, and I think it's probably the most powerful song that I've written, not only on the album, but probably to date. And so I started going, you know, into the 13, wow, the 13 records, it's a song called 13, maybe I should just call the album 13. Um, but I felt like that would kind of be somewhat restricting and that it would point really specifically to that song and maybe the amount of songs on the record, but it doesn't really encompass the other songs on the album, and so the title didn't feel all-inclusive. Mm. Uh, but then I stumbled upon the idea of the 13th floor and the fact that we uh, we don't have the 13th floor in most of our buildings in North America. And then there's that little bit of research that I did and that understanding that I stumbled upon, which was barely any, and the fact that the average person probably doesn't even know that. And yet we all know that the 13th floor is generally not in our buildings, and we all kind of seem to understand that concept. And it felt very parallel to the narratives that exist in, 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 in society that are often dismissed by others who don't understand them. The only thing that they that they seem to understand is like the, the general consensus. For example, for black women, there's a general consensus of what black women are like, and our actual narratives are dismissed by those that don't understand them. Um, and that's so many of the topics and themes that are on this album that I've always felt was too uncomfortable to talk about. So therefore, it's almost like me dismissing my own reality for the comfort of other people. And the approach with this record was for me to not do that, for me to not tap into other people's discomfort, for me to actually not really care about what other people's discomfort, you know, how that might be raised, and just to speak from a perspective that I thought was important and not dismiss my own narratives in the same ways that other people have dismissed my narratives. Uh, and the album kind of started to take the angle of speaking the unspoken narratives. And so that's where the 13th floor title came into play was it being kind of like something that we've dismissed from our reality. And it's like, no, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna acknowledge its existence and we're gonna speak on it because it does exist. Uh, and yeah, just kind of like a metaphor for where the album goes topic-wise. Yeah, 13, that's, that's some real shit. I mean, like, <laughs> you, you got in there, like, she talks about, like, the black woman's value to the slave master and the black man's value, like, it's, is you, you, you took it there. And so I, I was wondering, with, that, with songs like that, you said you do your research, do you, like, is that something you did research on before you wrote the song, or... You yeah, just, that, that song actually came out of me doing research at that time. And again, like research is continual. So there's yeah. so much more research that I have to do. I feel like I could write a 13 part two, three, or four now. Uh, and someday I'll be able to write a part 56. And like, I'm not saying I'm going to. It's just there's still so much that I don't know. Mm. Um, but I think like I always had the concept or like I always believed. And maybe I didn't understand exactly why. Specific examples of things that throughout my experience in life, things that I've learned, things throughout society, where I was like, wow, there's a lot of parallels between uh, you know, the jail system and, and what slavery once was. Mm. Um, but I didn't really have factual evidence to back up that fact that I'd spoken on this topic publicly and, you know, didn't have enough knowledge to really, like, kind of incite any change in the people I was talking about it with. Not to mention, again, you always get that, this is kind of not the time and this is kind of not the place where it works. Maybe don't talk about this, you know, and you just kind of always get a little bit of this, like, pushback. It's never the right time. And I, yeah, exactly. And on top of that, then you don't have kind of, like, the evidence to kind of make a really impactful point concisely. So you're kind of rambling because you're still thinking through what you think this is. Uh, and so for me, like, I remember having the production for the team and I wrote, I, I started off by writing from the perspective, like, not from the perspective of anybody else, it was still from my perspective, but I was writing as if I had the opportunity to talk to 
a guy who's in jail who is a friend of one of my friends. Mm. I don't really know him that well. I, I did know him like as an acquaintance, and he got incarcerated, uh, and he's been in, in jail for over five years at this point. And it, 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 it's quite a sad story, and I was writing, talking to my friend about it, who's very good friends with him, and we were just kind of talking about the perspective of what it must be like to be where he is. And I wrote a song kind of like talking to him, almost like if I if he got to hear this song, how could I make him feel empowered and, and strengthened and, and loved and, and valued still, despite his circumstances? And I wrote this whole song that I'll probably revisit and rework and reproduce later. Uh, it, was a, it was a great concept, but I, I didn't stick to it because it didn't seem to fit the album as much as I wanted it to, but it was a good piece of work. Uh, but what stuck to me was kind of like doing a bit of research on what it, what it is like to be in jail and kind of like that slave element to it and that kind of remained in my brain. So although I didn't, I didn't continue on writing that particular song, it amalgamated into me doing research uh, on the 13th Amendment and, and, and turned into a whole different song that I felt was kind of more inclusive of all of the topics and themes on the album and, and, and more of a widespread kind of educational experience and I felt the education behind it made it much more impactful and the fact that I was able to I guess put facts and evidence behind concepts that I had already had for me the song kind of poured out of me like it wasn't even really up to me how quick that song was written I wrote that song faster than any song on the album mm-hmm. um, because I was watching a YouTube video and just happened to stumble upon the 13th Amendment that I'd never seen the 13th Amendment in layman's terms like that and mm-hmm. For me, it was just like, oh, like this is not, like this is no longer my opinion. Like things that I've thought are actualized right here, right now with this, you know? And I was like, this is a YouTube video. I have to make sure that this is what the 13th Amendment actually said in that verbiage, in those words. And recognizing that it said that for me was like, this is a song. Like this is, this is a narrative that has been dismissed. Yeah. This is something that many of us don't know that we should no, how did we not know this? How did I not know this? Mm. And that's what it, where, like, where the song really came from. Like, how the hell did I not actually know this already? Mm-hmm. And the song just kind of stumbled out of me because there were themes, like I was saying, I knew certain things, but I, I always just thought it was like my opinion and that, you know, you have to do research. You can't argue an opinion. You can't speak like so candidly on just an opinion. But the fact, the factual element in it made it really like clear to me what I was what what topic I was navigating right. the fact that this is something that most people don't know and I was like they, they gotta know how can I write a song that will tell everybody what I just learned in a way where they won't listen to this song and attribute it to just it being my opinion mm. that I think was the approach I was like, how, how can I actually make an effective record that when you're listening to it you don't feel like yeah this is a black woman talking some black woman shit you know what I mean? Like, because that's what I think everybody's going to think. Obviously, somebody who doesn't identify with this experience and with this narrative is going to assume that, you know, I'm going to have a personal bias mm-hmm. as a black woman. And so I was like, how do I remove that element? Mm-hmm. So that this is like, I remove that, that kind of that human element so people can really only hear for what it is the facts that are built into this record that predate me. They don't, these things are coming from me. And, yeah, I was really grateful to, to stumble upon that information at the time that I did. When I did, happened to be my day off at work, and I happened to have the time to 
have the mental capacity to like be open enough to write that song. You know, it was just it was it just came together. And I'm, I'm grateful for the I'm grateful for that day, for that moment, for for the space to even you know not be preoccupied in something else to to be able to write that song. That's one of the things that I I love about hip hop that often gets dismissed that you can create genuine art that is it just it's you know bars production everything like that and yet educate someone in a way that they would have never even thought to be educated and uh, I've I it kind of took me back to some of the 90s hip hop that I used to listen to where you just oh shit they're talking about stuff I never really understood before to be true and you turn out you, you find out yeah it really did happen right so how did it feel to win? You actually won a Polaris Prize for this album. And it's, you said it's like your most like kind of real in, in a way, like like more. Yeah. How does that feel? Like, you, you know, because I, I know as an artist, you might feel like you got to, you know, cater to certain people, cater to certain groups. And this time you just went, fuck it. This is me. And this is one that that's getting acknowledged. Like, Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that it's like validated that like me kind of approaching making music without holding back and sort of music that I've held back in the past it's just a validator that I should continue to, 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 to navigate telling stories that need to be told instead of silencing those stories because some people might be uncomfortable while hearing them which I think for a lot of my previous records I mean like 13 floor is my sixth record to date but it's my debut record it's the only record that most people know that exists from me. Mm. And in those other five records, there was a lot of peddling around topics that I thought maybe I need to approach like this and well, maybe I shouldn't talk about that. And you know, it's taken me a lot of practice, a lot of time, a lot of records, a lot of songs to feel comfortable enough to write songs in the way that I wrote the songs on the album for. Mm. Um, so for me, this is a validation that the, the, the album that where I finally chose to do this is the album where I'm getting the most recognition. And, you know, it means that authenticity really is an important thing that people gravitate towards. And that, you know, the truth and reality, like, you know, it, I'm not, I, I, I don't consider myself to, to be an activist per se, but activists oftentimes have been shifts in our economy that had they not done what they did, like we wouldn't live in the ways that we do now. And, you know, oftentimes what they have to do is not be thwarted by the things that they're going to do and the, the difficulty that comes with it. Mm. And so for me, I'm no longer shying away from doing things because of the difficulty that comes with it. Uh, and more so feeling empowered to do those things because of the difficulty that comes with it. And the fact that other people may have not have done it or there's not as many examples of this that exist. And so I'm actually filling a hole or filling a void where we need to see more representation and we need the community to be more aware of these narratives that, you know, maybe are, are a little bit more silent. And yeah, for the players to acknowledge an album that speaks specifically to dismiss narratives and for it to be acknowledged for important narratives, I mean, it's, 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 it's starting to do what I could have only dreamed it would do. Mm -hmm. um, and what's, what's amazing is the things that back the players, for some people, you know, a lot of people come up to me and they're like, wow, like, what are you going to do with $50,000? You got a bag, like, that's, you know, and they look at it from this really surface-level perspective, but it's like, first of all, I'm an investor, um, and I had to learn to invest 
everything that was coming in in 2018 into this record and in 2019 I'm continuing to invest and then the $50,000 win from the Polaris is only that it's only a further investment and the value in it the part about having that money that makes me excited is that you know now that we sat down and talked about the value the, the, the value of other records on the album and the assets that we're going to continue to create and the fact that we have the funding to do it that for me is where the win becomes exciting. Having $50,000 doesn't mean anything until you know where it's going to be allocated. And then you can get excited because you know what you're going to be able to fund. You know what's next. Yeah. And for a long time, I didn't know what was next because we had less resources. We put a lot of money into this record. We put a lot of time and energy into this record. Uh, we've exhausted a lot of those funds. And so, you know, in order to continue to sustain, you, you know, you have to figure out where new money is coming from and how you can continue to create experiences from this same record, from these same songs. And now we have a place with which to do that. And not only that, you know, the opportunity to perform in front of the Canadian music industry, like so many people, like that's, that's the pinnacle. Yeah. You know, it's, to me, it's, it's right up there with the Junos. Uh, and the only thing that makes it kind of more prevalent than the Junos is that there's only one winner. Uh, in the Junos, there's a multitude of winners throughout the night. Uh, and I'm sure, like being a Juno winner is an amazing thing to be able to say. And it's something I'm aiming for still. But to be a Polaris winner as well is, is even harder to do because there's only one and it's based on artistic merit alone. And that means what is the artistic value of your music? Yeah, and that's no something height. that for me is really important. Yeah. So now I can say people, not, not only do I see myself as an artistic vision artist, and as somebody who's gotten their first notoriety from being like perceived as a battle rapper, being participating in Cypress, that was where a lot of my initial notoriety came from when I joined the sorority and and all of that, and so for people to finally recognize me for what I always have seen myself as, a conceptual, visual, concept artist, you know, now everybody can see me as that, and now it's kind of like undeniable, not to mention promoters that book you, they see it, and they they offer you 10 times what they offered you last mm -hmm. year. Yeah, and actually, yeah. Like, <laughs> I like, wanted to ask like, you that. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like this, all this stuff adds to your credibility, so now you can get more bags. Exactly, and the, the bags like are, 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 are cool in a way, but it's not the money more than it is the sustainability that money allows. And you can't continue to grow as a musician unless you're making more and more from the investment. And, mm -hmm. and, and you're, the, the investment is the time and the creativity and all of the, the, you know, what you're putting back into yourself creatively. Like, you have to be able to generate more off of that in order to, like, create bigger and better experiences and that's just how the that's just how this economy works that's how business works uh, um, uh, yeah uh, go ahead sorry how the polaris adds to that is where i am now i'm starting to see the value in it and that you know people are like have you processed it yet like have you sat down with the fact that you know you're a polaris winner and i think it's more like what it can do for you that has started to create that process of wow, I won this thing. It's not even like, wow, I won this thing. It's like, wow, I got like this show offer. It's bigger than any show offer I've ever gotten off the chance of Polaris. That's like a part of processing it. And then, wow, like we're talking about working on this music video that's going to cost this and we have the funds for it. Even if we don't get a grant that we're going to apply for, we still have the funds for it. Those are the types of things that for me is like, wow, you're a Polaris winner. That's one thing that I, I'm, I love that you dug into because like my podcast and my clothing brand are called Art Pays Me. And it's all about telling artists that you got to like embrace 
um, getting paid for your stuff, even if it's not necessarily just so you can have nice things, but getting paid means you get to increase and improve the experience of your creativity. So because you've got this 50000 now you can invest into doing an even better project next time. And it, exactly. it's healthy to want to grow that way. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. So, yo, I love that you, you, you mentioned that. And also, like, you, you touched on the sorority. You're, you started out as a solo artist, and then you kind of got into the sorority because you were, noti- like, noticed for doing ciphers? Yeah, no, I kind of got into the sorority because we did a video. We did a cipher. We didn't know each other at the time, but we all participated in cipher. That got a lot of notoriety, and I say that that's, like, the the most... I've been a solo artist since 2009, like, kind of, like, actively, mm. and, like, there's work that I've been putting out since that time, uh, and this, this this cipher I was invited to be a part of was 2016, so, yeah, I've been an artist for many years, um, and I've gotten, like, little bouts of success, and got a song on World Star, little things like that, and my name was floating around here and there, but never to the capacity that it was. Once that video happened and got shared on Facebook, I got a million views on a verse that I did mm. in three days. And I'll <laughs> never forget the mindset that that shifted for me, or the way that my mindset shifted for me at that time. It was like an epiphany. I was like, if you don't look at this as recognition for what you need to do with the rest of your career, like, go be an accountant. I always do <laughs> story because I really thought that. And I really made a lot of changes. And at the same time that I started making these changes as a solo artist, the demand for those the four girls in that video was also rising, and so my solo career was was magnifying at the same time that the demand for us to become a queen was rising, and that kind of happened at the same time. And I put an album out um, around the time that the sorority was formulating, and then the following year we put an album out. And in those two years, I learned so, so, so much. And all of what I've learned and taken, I feel 2016 was like an exponential growth one of those things that created exponential growth. And I always say, like, your career is, like, little strides, little strides, little strides, and then one thing will happen that's, like, a big stride. And then back to little strides, and little strides, and little strides. And then, again, you'll have big strides. And so, for me, that cyber video was a big stride. It was, like, I recognized through the amount of people that were reaching out to me, the amount of people that recognized where I worked and were recognizing me in person, that there's, there's value. People recognize that you're a really good rapper. And I also recognized that people only realized I was a good rapper. And if I didn't do something with the attention, I was going to lose it. Mm. And, and so my business ethic, I think, in 2016 was what really kicked in. I, and I think it's cool, my process, because from, 20, from 2009 to 2016, I was just perfecting my rap skills. So by the time I was participating in that video, I was already dope. Mm. So people, could recognize, people could recognize that I was good in the video, and what I had to recognize was that my business was trash. <laughs> and I did, because the amount of people that reached out to me to say, hey, I hit you up on Twitter, but the email bounced back. Oh, shit, the email on my Twitter is wrong, because it doesn't match my Facebook. So they had to, like, search to find me. I just started to realize that when it comes to business, you have to make it easy for the fans. You have to make it easy for the listener. They should be able to go to all of your social medias and find the latest song that you released. It should not be any more difficult than that. And I didn't. In all those years I was making music, I, I didn't understand that concept. I didn't understand monetization. I didn't understand reinvesting. And I didn't understand turning music into money at all. Yeah. And even still with that video, there was no money out of it. I'm sure the entity that uploaded it, which was came back at the time, I'm sure they generated money on the video, but you didn't. 
And so even me recognizing that, like, there were streams of revenue that I wasn't tapping into, I was like, okay, well, how do I create music that will generate streams of revenue for me? Mm. And that's when I put out my fifth record, Spotlight City, and that record was actually the record that made me, like, I reached the pinnacle of business sense on my own that intrigued my booking agent, which brought in my management, which kind of helped to create the reality that made 13 Floor possible. And if it wasn't for my mindset shift, I don't think that I would have ever garnered the attention of the team that I have now that I'm really grateful for because they've done a lot of things down to like my team just understanding how to acquire grants. We've acquired thousands of dollars for this record that made the visuals impactful because we could afford to pay the right person for the job. And we could afford to pay the right producers and get the right collaborators uh, because we were able to source the funding and we were able to do promotion in a way that was impactful because of the money we were able to generate. And all of this came from me having a better understanding of getting my music in front of tastemakers and door openers and music industry critiques. And that's literally what the players is. And somehow in three years, I just feel like we've been able to do a lot. You know, I say we because for a long time it was me and a long time it was my personal investment from full-time jobs consistently. And then for a large part of, you know, 2016 to 2019, new members came in and, and joined me on this vision and helped take it to where it is right now. And I just want to continue to grow it. And at this point, you know, I feel, you know, there's this thing that they say, you know, you want to conquer your own city, country, whatever, before you move out. And I've always felt like, wow, how am I going to do that in Canada? Canada doesn't even, like, you know, understand hip-hop in the ways that I approach hip-hop. And I've always kind of had that fear that I wouldn't really be able to do that here in Canada. Um, And now I have in the most optimal way, which is to win something like the Polaris. And, you know, if I can get a Juno, I feel like we hit the pinnacle and we need to transcend and take this to Europe and, and take this to the States. And, I mean, we're already doing that. We're looking for show opportunities. I just did a small tour in Europe. Um, and these messages and narratives have been dismissed worldwide. Yeah. Not just here. And so it's a beautiful thing to be able to kind of make these changes here first. Uh, and be validated in the steps that we've taken to do it so we can create a game plan and, and, and do it in a more international route. Yeah, I saw Double XL actually gave you a shout-out as one of the top 15 rappers to check out from t- Toronto as well. Yeah, and that was like the beginning of this year too. That was like before the assets were rolling out, before the album was really developed at all. More so when I was just starting to mention that there will probably be an album that was when that shout out happened so that shout out even probably helped to create some validity for the album before it came to be so yeah I'm, I'm grateful for just all of those little independent outlets that have you know paid attention to the journey that that i've been on for so many years mm-hmm. so you're you're on your business shit do do rappers in 2019 need a record label no uh, I don't think that you need a record label. I've, I did this entire record independently, and I think that there's a lot of people who are starring, especially the Canadian deals, who are probably doing less than what we've done in this year. And it's not like a shot or shade, it's just that uh, there's a certain point where I think it depends on what you want to do with your career, and it depends on where you want to go with it, and I definitely think there's a certain point in time where a label is a, is a consideration. I think you can consider a label early on as well, but I think you do need to understand, like, 
for this album, I was offered not a label deal, but I was offered um, a recoup deal. Hey, we're willing to give you anywhere between a hundred thousand and two hundred fifty thousand dollars for your record. Okay. And that's and there's no label deal consideration. Yeah, maybe uh, if the the recoup wasn't like time two, like so if I took a two hundred fifty thousand dollar deal. My recoup was five hundred thousand dollars. So you had to that's, pay them back that much money. Yeah, that's the way that that it wasn't even a deal. It was just a, a loan, uh, an investment offer. Yeah, and that's essentially what when you sign to a label. That's essentially what you're getting. Yeah, is is money that you have to recoup. Uh, and I, I definitely think in the beginning, for some people that might be the reality. Maybe the deal makes a lot of sense. Maybe they trust your vision. Uh, but do you need it? Definitely not because. Uh, all of that money that you're given, you have to be able to make it back for the label. And you can bury an impending music career starting off like that. Mm. How, like, I didn't generate $500,000 from 13th floor. No way. Right. No way. Right. right? And so, if the, maybe that $250,000 investment would have created a much better rollout. Maybe it would have. I don't know. But what we were able to do, especially if you're in Canada, there are grants that you can access. And those grants, those grants constitute the money that is not recouped. Mm-hmm. You just need to have a business plan in place. And to be honest, when you go with the label, you should have a business plan in place anyway. Essentially, everything that you would need to do with a label, you would need to do as an independent artist. And so that's why I think that you don't need a label. I think if a, a, a label happens to make sense, you just have to weigh out your pros and your cons and determine if it makes sense for you. But for us, it, it didn't make sense to, to have a label. We didn't have a label. We still don't have a label. We're still independent. I'm lucky enough to have a management team that kind of functions like a label in that there's multitude, there's a multitude of people working the record from different angles. We have grant writers. Uh, we have a manager, you know, and we have people that kind of take on more than one role, and those roles are kind of the roles that a label would take on. You'd have one, one person appointed to this, one person appointed to that. And uh, if you can develop a team of people that can kind of encompass all of the roles uh, of an album rollout that a label would, like look at how a label, like, like you, you can just look at how a label is structured and how they're able to create a successful artist, and then just try to follow that model. Uh, because I feel. The more leverage you can build for yourself before signing anything, uh, if you ever do choose to sign, you want to go in with more leverage. The more leverage you have, the better deal that you can that you can develop for yourself, and the more say that you'll have over the clauses of the deal or of the contract. And you know, the more value that you that you have to somebody, the more say you have over the way the deal is structured. Because yeah, the higher your value, the more they'll be willing to work with and compromise with what it is that you want. Yeah. And I would never... Oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, I just remember hearing nightmares stories about, like, people signing the rights away to their music and then the label never releasing it. Um, Yeah, and then that's another thing. So, like, when you sign, generally the label does take ownership over your records. The master recording is generally owned by them and their logic behind that is the investment that they're putting in, they're providing the studios for you to record, and they're providing all of the resources to make the record come to existence. Um, but yeah, you have to have you have to have 
leverage in order to negotiate whether or not they're going to own part of your masters or all of your masters or none of your masters. You can't even begin to have that conversation if you don't have any value yet. If the label is going to create all of your value, um, you're probably going to put all of your value in the label, and you're going to give a lot of you're going to give a lot of it away because you you don't really have anything outside of the label. You, mm-hmm. you know, you want. I think a good position to be considering a label is where you don't need that. And I think that that's kind of where I am now. If I go into a label meeting, I don't need a label to sustain a living. Yeah. I quit my day job and I can survive without a label. So the only thing that the label can do is add to this vision in a way that's optimal for the growth of, of iMighty and the rest of my team. Mm. And if there is a label that can do that in a way that I'm not losing intellectual property uh, or, or I'm not going against my moral ethics, if they really support the vision, you know, because I mean, at the end of the day, the vision and the goal is to get this vision in, in a mainstream realm in front of as many people as possible. And I understand that a label can do that better than an independent team. We've been able to do a lot in Canada. Yeah. You know, where I might consider a label is in the state, where it's a completely new market, with 10 times the amount of people it's here. And I'm not tapped into that network. And a label will be tapped into that network. And it's not because they have money why I would be considering a label. It's because they have resources and they have the network. And, and, oh, I'm gonna call it, like, that's a telemarketer. Yeah, but basically, we don't need a label, and I think that it's the best position to be in is when you can consider a label, but not need one. But mm. you, can go into these, you can go into these meetings with no pressure, you can, you know, there's so many things that they'll sell you. They'll, they'll bring you to this beautiful studio or a beautiful home at the mansion. And you'll be like, wow, there's a pool in the back with a fountain. And all these things will look so luxurious. But when, when you don't need any of that, you can't be sold by the wrong thing. The only thing that you're going to be sold by is truly adding value to the vision that you have for your craft. Yeah. And, 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 and truly expanding the investment you've made in yourself. And so for me, um, I'll stay independent until such time that it makes sense to grow the craft in a way where I'm not going to get my intellectual property, I'm not going to get my moral ethics. Um, and yeah, for, 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 for me, I would recommend that for any for any artist uh, to look at the way a label is structured, look at the way a label is made up, and then just try to structure a team around yourself that can kind of mimic that and emulate that until such time that you need more. Mm, yeah. So with that said, you're, I was listening to in women, the song In Women Color, and I saw some parallels. You, you, you kind of talked about like a messed up situation when this boy basically assaulted you and, and, try, and uh, didn't take you seriously as a hooper or whatever. And, um, yeah. Do you find, like, similarly that happens as a rapper where, you know, we still do this dumb thing where we talk about the top five rappers or we say the top five female rappers instead of just, like, lumping everyone together? Like, do you... Exactly. It's still a very male... Like, the mentality in hip-hop is still very male-centered. Do you find that uh, that kind of thing is... Is it an event? Is it a way something you could use as an advantage, or is it something that hurts you? I think it's both. Um, I try to use it in a way that is advantageous to me, 
I definitely try to, to, to continue to not do the right thing. The ways and the ways that it is a disadvantage, I think I think I can understand that early on in my career because I used to say stuff like, "It doesn't matter that I'm a girl." Like I'm not like I used to think I wasn't held back in any way by being a female. I didn't I didn't recognize that there were things that happened before you get a gig that holds you back. And so I think, yeah, for sure, there's this lower expectation of what a woman can do that make it less likely for her to get booked for a gig in the first place. And that definitely holds women back who are competing within this realm from getting opportunities, from being able to explore those opportunities, and from being able to prove themselves. Um, but in addition to that, you know, for me, knowing that there's this lowered expectation, I find I go into show elements, uh, uh, and I use it as an advantage, only because I know that I'm good at what I do, and the reaction is often the same because of ignorance. So it's like you're utilizing ignorance to, to create a, a sense of leverage because you generally know that you're going to do better than people expect you to do. That's pretty fucked up. That's pretty fucked up to know. Yeah. You know? But that's because, for me, I started off kind of like inspired by the battle rap era. Um, so my focus, and I know those seven years of singing lessons before I've ever rapped. So I feel like I have a big focus on pronunciation, breath control, uh, clarity of words, and, and, and of course, executing those things live, even while doing aggressive movement. And those things are really important to me. And they're really important to singers, more than rappers, because those are things that you learn, technical way of using the diaphragm. And so having that understanding, I think, has made me approach rapping from a much more technical perspective, uh, which is, we don't have an expectation of men, let alone women, uh, so you just know that if you do that, you learn after the, you learn after every single show where everyone there's always going to be one person that says, "Wow, you're really good for a woman. You're mm. really good for like a female rapper." Yeah. Or like one thing I got a lot was, "I don't even like rap, but like your stuff is good." Like that's something I got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I would get booked. I'd be like the token a lot, mm. um, and by being the token at first, I thought, "Well, I'm just." I'm getting these opportunities and I'm playing on stage and is this really a setback until I realized, yeah, but you're getting so few opportunities because you're ha- you have to start to change the narrative that you deserve these opportunities before you even get them. And I've helped to do that over the years. Uh, and now, you know, getting headlining spots and, and, you know, promoters that believe that somebody like me is worthy of a 45 minute set in front of their crowd. And that's taking a long time for not only me, but many women that participate in the music community to help create that shift uh, and that change in the mindset of so many that, you know, in order for you to have a really live, upbeat set, you have to get a, a male artist, like a Travis Scott or something. Or if you want to get, like, a really conscious rapper, then you got to get, like, a Kevin Lamar or something. And it's like, you know, no, there are women that do that. And their the narrative, I think, is starting to shift. And, yeah, I think for me, like, it was a setback in a way, in ways that you saw a little bit less. Um, because you just don't oftentimes the setback is just not getting something and not knowing that you work but you just don't know that you, there is this thing that you could have done you're available, the promoter knows your name but they just don't dawn on inviting you because you're a female rapper and in their mind it doesn't, you wouldn't fit the vision of what they're trying to do you know and then you know being invited to be in a cipher with all women and you know, that helps create the shift, too. Like, you don't look at women as, like, battle-centric bars, heavy, lyrical, da-da-da. Like, yeah. that, narrative is, that narrative is a new one. Uh, and again, this is 
a lot of this shift is about trying to like shift these narratives uh, so that newer ones can take the forefront because that's how we progress, that's how we learn, that's how we grow. Uh, and we can learn so much from each other by doing that. And yeah, you know, I think and I, it's funny. I actually had to learn that being a woman was a setback as a rapper because I started rapping like kind of on the internet. I started doing the battle rap thing online with like a bunch of American guys. Um, and I was one of the top people on that website, probably because I was good. And you know, there would always be rap bars about women. Like people would always say things like, you're a girl and get it done. But this is battle rap. So like, I just always look at that like, this is, he's insulting me because he's battling. I gotta insult him for being a dude. And that's, that's just what you do when you battle. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't, I wasn't even really looking at it like I'm a woman. I was doing really well on that website. I was one of the top 10, like, freestylers ranking on that site, and I was I was young. So, you know, for me, I realized only later on what the setback was. It's kind of like when you're young and you're black, you don't know what that means, but you run around playing with all other kids, and, like, eventually it hits you one day that, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's... It, 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 I no, I know what you, I know what you mean. Like I grew up kind of thinking racism is, a, is is doesn't exist in the same way as my parents experienced it. So I I used to say that to them, and they would try to like preach to me about yo, you got to watch out for this, you got to watch out for that. And I like I would argue, nah, it's not like that. Just blah blah blah. Until I got out in the world and had experienced some shit, and I'm like, oh, this is what they were talking about. Uh. <laughs> Shit. 
And my body language showed it. And the only person that fought for me and my wife in that room was my mom. Mm. Even against me. And that was the first time I ever saw my mom cry was when we left that meeting. And she wrote a letter to the superintendent detailing how disgusting the meeting was. And like, I went home and she told my dad about it like in tears. And like, it wasn't until then that I realized what had happened. Yeah. And like, I feel like I didn't really understand the impact of racism until that day. And that was, I was thinking, going into grade nine. And I thought I was this. I'm all about equality. I'm outspoken and I'm dead of the dog. I was always that person. I thought I knew what was up. And that was the first time that I really realized like what coverted racism looks like and how we exasperate it and how you can be tricked into not realizing your worth because of such a society and just how you can be held back, how I was so willing to throw away this opportunity to exercise being a young black person who tapped into their academics and be recognized for that in this program through high school. I was the only was the only black woman who was enhanced in, in my high school when I think about it. Wow. Nobody ever nobody ever said it in those terms. Nobody ever like the Polaris, you're the first hip hop but nobody ever said you're gonna be the only black woman in the uh, with an IEP. But I was. When I look back, I was the only black girl in my class. And I was in the same class with the same kids. We should English, math, all of the courses that you have with me and all the same people because that's how the enhanced program worked. Right. And there was like two or three black guys but it was one black woman that held me. So wait a second. And, Let me step back. You're uh, the first hip-hop act to win the Polaris? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. You, <laughs> some people say that King Trinata might be when there's an argument of whether King Trinata is hip-hop or not. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, when you look at a hip hop record of rappers winning, I'm not only the first hip hop record to have won the four, but uh, also the first black woman to have won. And it's interesting. I feel like some of these first happened before, like in high school, but I didn't recognize it because nobody said anything. And your 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 past is so our past is so dismissed. Uh, the narratives are so silenced. The history has been you know coverted and hidden. And so you don't even know where you come from and you don't even realize the strides that you're making uh, or the strength that you have to embody in order to like overcome certain things because you don't even realize that society is designed to hold you back in these certain ways. And that's why those marriages are important. That's why I thought like 13 needs to be talked about because we don't all have the same footing when it comes to nature versus nurture. The way that we're nurtured is not the same. The way that society sees us is not the same. The, we are byproducts of an environment that is not the same. And the environment might be the same, but the things that make it the environment are different. Sure. And that means our experiences are different. And yeah, that's why I think it's so important to talk about in order to share our stories with each other. Because the same way that I can speak on these topics and somebody is going to learn something that they never knew, you know, I've learned so much from listening to the indigenous uh, experiences, the trials, tribulations, and their plight. I've learned so much from. Jeremy Dutcher, the, the, the record that he did and the process that he went through to do that record. And I'm sure as I learned so much, he learned so much. Mm-hmm. And and that's a narrative that isn't mine. And all I have to do to participate is listen. And yeah. I, I think that there's more of that that needs to happen. We just need to listen to each other to grow and to, and to educate each other. And it's, it's not something that should create a source of unhappiness or a source of discomfort that makes us unwilling to do it. Um, and I think 
and being uncomfortable is important too. If we're always protecting each other's comfort level, we're never going to get anywhere either. So. <laughs> I was gonna say something, but I'll I'll, I'll keep that. I'll, I'll I won't get myself in trouble. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, somebody who I, I want to have on the show quite soon. She made a, a comment about fragility and caused quite quite a stir up in this part of the country. So I just I'll she say made a comment about what? she made a comment about white fragility, and um, a lot of people got upset about it. Um, but, is she a musician as well? Sorry? Is she a musician as well? Uh, she, she just talked about white fragility and, and basically put a middle finger up to it. Um, and, uh, no, but, uh, sorry, is she a musician? Oh, sorry. Is she a musician? No, she's, she's an activist. Um, she's more in the activist okay. space, yeah. And she was a university student okay. at the time. So, okay. Yeah. So anyway, I'm gonna, I am want to dig into that, but it's... Yeah, yeah, she'll dig into what you bring on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important. It's important, though, that um, we have to be honest and, and share, le- like, the experiences that we really experience because, you know, me as a man, if I didn't listen to uh, women saying that they've had it messed up and guys have taken advantage of them and done this and done that... I can't get in my feelings and say not all men and blah blah blah. I gotta listen and and take right. it on the chin, you know. Uh, and that's and that's yeah. I think that that you know that that self protection is a thing that I think makes people not listen often. It's like yeah, but like well, I didn't do that, and it's like my approach too is like everybody's approach is different. My approach is. If anybody were to respond to my approach like that, it's kind of like, okay, you actually are part of the problem because my approach is very much educational and very much not attacked. Mm-hmm. And I know some people can feel attacked by certain approaches, even when they're not. I can understand. This is me resonating with people who are not me. I can resonate with the fact that some white people really have never experienced certain things and, like, for the, they are for the first time considering certain things because me as a black person in grade 8 didn't realize what was happening to me. So I can understand why they might not realize that the unwillingness to listen is the same and the lack of realization prior to conversation. Mm. So like, I will give space for spaces due. You don't know something, understood. I, you, I don't expect anybody to know anything that I'm trying to educate. That's why I'm trying to create the narrative because I'm learning still. Yeah. But I do have an expectation that people will have the willingness to listen. And when people don't have the willingness to listen, that's where the conversation doesn't need to be had. And you are part of the problem. They're very much a part of the problem because it's the people that are unwilling to listen and the people that are always going into self-protection mode that are thinking selfishly for themselves. And a lot of the issues that we have in society is different people thinking for themselves solely and exploiting others for the benefit of them and their own. And so if that is your mindset when we go into a conversation, you are part of the problem. Absolutely you are. Yeah. You know? So I will, we're about to wrap it up, but before we do, I have a question. Since you're the first rapper, I gotta ask you: Who are your top five dead or alive? Ooh. Okay, this is tough for me because <laughs> I feel like I feel like there's so much more education that needs to be done in so many realms, and I think I don't think I even know. Cause I grew up on R&B and pop, like I didn't grow up on hip hop. 
Okay. You know what I mean? I found it later. I, I have three older sisters, and my, I grew up with mom and dad. So, and I was born in 92. So the era I was born in was the, probably the most attractive hip-hop era, only next to, to now. And so I wasn't really exposed to hip-hop when I was young because there was, it was hard to regulate. Um, and I was a young woman, and a lot of the content for young women probably not the best so my parents didn't really my parents didn't expose us to it uh, so I wasn't really I wasn't really getting you know what I mean like I feel like I, I started to backdate like I fell into hip hop in the early 2000s so like mm. the 50 Cent Chingy Dipset Ludacris era like, yeah. that's when I fell into hip hop and I've gone back and backdated but I still feel that there's a lot more research for me to do in order to give a true top five that are alive like truly considering because like, there's still some like iconic classical uh, like classic rappers who I I only know like maybe their top three songs like and I don't know their repertoire the way that I think that I should in order to truly do you know what I'm saying yeah. truly give so I, I can do it with my uh, from a place of ignorance and in the future I'll do it again from a place of having done the research that needs to be done but from a place of ignorance um, I'm gonna say Jay. Jay. Okay. I think Jay Z is really clever. Uh, I think his approach to writing is really poetic. Um, and it's different for me, but it makes me feel like he approaches writing a song similar to me because it's clever and it's not surface level or mundane, and I like that. Like. So I would say Jay is one. I can't, I'm not going to give you an order, though. No, yeah. <laughs> Just going to give you five. <laughs> That's impossible. But Jay is one of them. <laughs> um, I'm going to say M because mm. of his technicality um, and his speed, like diction within the speed. You can hear all the words. Um, cleverness as well. Uh, and wordplay. Wordplay is crazy. Um, following a rhyme scheme consistently, I feel like uh, I, th- I feel like I was actually really influenced by M because he was one of, because he's white. And mm. that means he was one of the few rappers who was on TV. So I wasn't being exposed to hip hop, but, but much music was playing Eminem. Sure. And that's where pop music played, that's where NSYNC was, that's where Britney Spears was. That was the shit that I was allowed to watch on TV. So for what little hip hop I could get, Eminem was probably the most prevalent in my early years. So he is a very big influence because he came from the battle rap era. So he came from like this, I'm going to insult you, you know, kind of perspective. And then he also came with his own stories, which would create these really dope concept records that I like know and love to this day, like stand and cleaning up my closet. Those songs you don't forget because the, the story that he painted, you could like see it. Um, so Adam for sure. Mm. Um, Nas. Uh, from an educational perspective, telling you about things that you didn't know, and, and yeah, I just think he, like, he more so was like, like a rapper that like educated me. Sure. Um, and I know I can was probably like one of the first songs that made me question what my black history actually is. Um, and that song was for kids. Mm-hmm. It was written about. And there was like different themes within it, but the third verse for me is the, the, the verse that I to this day don't know what to work. And it spoke on like, it's like, it, to me, it's like kind of like my 13, like it broke down black history in a verse. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it allowed, and, it, and it was a source of it still is to this day a source of research because I can utilize that verse to like determine okay today I'm going to look into this because not said this and I don't know too much about that you know what I mean yeah. but that was that song was one of the first times I ever questioned my my own history and looked at my ancestors as kings and queens mm. never before that time did I really do that outside of my dad telling me about John Harry Selassie and those things where I still didn't know too much about mm. this was an American not talking about being a Rastafarian and saying the same stuff my dad was saying you know so it made me really question where my people came from and, and see the value in them I don't think I ever really thought so yeah now from an educational perspective for sure um Lauren Hill oh okay um, as a singer and as a singer as well um but just like approach like it was like from a more musical aspect because with the singing and then there was like guitar playing and then there were like these themes that were like specific to like the way a woman thinks I think yeah um because there were like topics that I really resonated with as a woman and you never hear a song written by a man like like these records especially on the miseducation of Lauren Hill you never heard anything written by a man like that. Um, and I also really like my class. So, mm. that angle too. Um, but I, I was, I've been really saying for seven years before I ever rapped, she was kind of like an all-inclusive, but like the lyricism, the way that she would tell stories was very poetic as well. Not in the same way that Jay-Z did it, but... Um, kind of more like the way a singer would do it. But she's underrated as a rapper. kind of like... She she got Sorry. bars. She got bars. Like people don't often talk about her as a rapper, but she she's got legit bars. Oh, she has bars, and she's and like I think all the rappers that resonate with rap in this like really like smart way. Like, and she does it. She she does she does it in a way that I think inspired me more than I than I realized even to this day. Mm-hmm. When I listen back to some of her music, I'm like, damn! Like I really I really loved this song growing up. Like. I remember, like, rapping, like, that song that she has with, um, Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. Turn your life down, oh, that verse, the way that she, like, approaches it, but then switches back into the singing, like, I find I approach writing songs, because I look at her as a lyricist, and she's got bars, but she's also an amazing songwriter. Yes. She writes amazing songs, she tells a story so beautifully, and she manipulates her voice, where sometimes she's rapping and sometimes she's singing and sometimes she's humming and that's something I find that I do a lot I utilize my voice as an instrument and she did that mm-hmm. but also very 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 lyrical yes and and, and, and the rhyme scheme the way the way she would but 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 move she's like smooth she doesn't really she doesn't make me feel like a battle rapper vibe right that's the the thing that I have got in my beginning that that I think she pulled me out of a little bit and I feel I used to, when I was younger, be a really aggressive rapper. Like, yo, and my voice was high. So it just sounded ridiculous. Like, <laughs> like you're trying to prove yourself, like you're trying to impress. And 13th floor, I remember there was a point where I was like, no, calm down, I'm lying. I, I went through this, like, period where I was watching my live performances, and I was, like, cringing. Like, oh, my God. Like, is this a live sound? And for this album, I really relaxed. And I didn't try to overtune myself with every lyric, and I only came with, a certain amount of energy for the record what really made sense and, it, and I calmed down and I feel like I was able to tap into a smoothness that Lauren Hill always had. Um, mm. Not doing it because that's how she did it 
But when I look back at this record, of all my records, I feel like that's what I took from, like, that, I took that and from, from, from her. Understanding that you don't have to be like, yo, da, 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 to make a really impactful point. Right. You can be smooth and you can, and you can just be as lyrical and, and the approach is just is different. The Lauren Hill for sure, that's four. Uh, five. Hmm. Uh, I feel like I should be, man, I feel like I should be playing, and it's hard, my next one is hard, um, rappers that I know are amazing that I don't know enough about, like Big Pun and Big Out, I don't know their, their catalog or repertoire enough mm. to consider that, um, but the, the, the three people in my head right now, is Kendrick, Pac, and Big. Mm. And I don't know how to really... Like, Biggie is... Biggie is dope. Um, as a rapper, he's dope. Like, I think, you know, like... He's, he's just dope. He's one of, the, one of the best, but I feel like I'm having difficulty choosing between Kendrick and Pac right now for the fifth spot for different reasons. Mm. Um, Kendrick is an artist that I really look up to. Uh, and I'm really inspired by what he does. And I think that he's extremely technical. Um, he's like, you know, similar to Eminem in a way, but like with more real themes that are relative to me in the music. Um, but then I think Pac, while not necessarily as technical, was earlier on saying things that no one else was really saying and really pushing me all the way up in terms of the way that you think. And those two things are really important to me because I feel like 13 Floor is a, is a record where I'm lyrically quite technical on some records, but also a large part of the important themes, it comes from like pushing me all the way and saying things that other people maybe aren't ready to say. Yeah. And I think Pac did a lot of that. So I'm having a hard time choosing between Kendrick and Pac for that fifth spot. And, but you know, as I said, this is coming from a place of ignorance. I, there's so much more that I need to know, and, and that list will probably change. Uh, uh, now I have to allocate time to educate <laughs> myself. Like, no, when I was leaving Montreal, I, I was telling myself, oh, I'm going to have to, like, I'm going to have to learn, learn how to, like, educate myself further, and I'm going to have to make time for it. So, like, when it comes to hip-hop, I have to make time to, like, go through records, because I'm so busy now that it's harder than ever. And if I want to, like, you know, do research, I have to make time to watch a documentary. I have to make time. You know what I'm saying? So, like, for me, like, I actively am thinking of ways to make time to, like, decrease ignorance in every facet, you know? And that's just one of those facets for me, um, is learning more about hip-hop and where it comes from. And because there's so many people I'm probably not considering, so many, like, artists from the 80s who, like, don't know their catalog enough. And... You know, records by artists that when I was younger, I knew the record but didn't know the rapper, and I'm not even thinking of them right now. And mm. Yeah, there's just, there's, I just don't know enough. I don't know enough, and I'm very vocal about, I don't think I know enough about anything really. Mm. Um, I know a lot about making a song. Yeah. I think I can make a good song, but I don't know a lot about anything else. I don't know a lot about slavery. Even making a song like 13 is a big risk, because yeah. I don't know anything. Yeah. Um, but I'm grateful that, you know, the, the, the authenticity of what I, what, I, what I did research and what I did learn, people were willing to join me in, in trying to better understand that narrative and 
I, you know, I plan to do more more research on topics like that. Topics of, 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 of hip hop, I think, is very important to understand when you're doing something. Living, you can understand where where it came from, where it's going. And I only know some information, so much more. You know, down to who the rappers were and, and the origin of of, of, of hip hop and, and and DJing and graffiti work and all this sort of stuff. Like, I, I want to know more about that, and I I plan to actively make the time in my life to learn that. Mm-hmm. Well, I respect I respect that uh, you're willing to do that work because a lot of people are not, especially especially some of the younger rappers that are like, I don't care, I don't know, and they just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of ignorant, a lot of ignorant people that are like, yeah, these old heads, they don't like. I'm not, I'm not with that, and I think that what has made me feel the most empowered is research from my past, whether it's musically driven or not. So yeah, I, I knowledge is power truly like that statement is is really really true right so what's next for you what's next um finding more assets for such as what are we going to put out from the record what more does, does the record have to say like what visuals can we create where has the impact not been maximized uh due to lack of resources and and how do we plan to maximize those things um uh, where are we going to play shows next? How are we going to take this message and bring it not only to more Canadian regions like Halifax, the Halifax Pop Explosion, and Calgary for Fenways and Edmonton for headlining show, but how are we going to bring this, you know, over to Europe? And how are we going to bring this to the states? And how are we going to bring this to possibly Asia? Like that's where I am right now mentally. Is how do we take this to the next level? And what does that next level look like? We're still figuring that part out. Um, but, uh, yeah, what's next for me is continuing to reinvest back into myself um, and, and taking whatever new knowledge it is that I can stumble upon, um, which, you know, I try to, like, anytime there's free time, like, I'm big on documentaries or meeting up with people who know a lot about a topic that I don't, and I'm just really big on learning new stuff. And every time I learn new stuff, I get overly excited. Um, I don't know if it's a Sagittarius thing, but I really like to get new knowledge because it makes me feel powerful. Mm. Uh, knowing knowing stuff makes me feel strong, and uh, and then it makes me do the thing that I think I'm I'm best at, which is right with this newfound knowledge. Um, so that's something that uh, I want to I want to do a lot more of is just feel more empowerment. Uh, and that's going to come from learning more things. And then on top of it, I'm getting opportunities I've never gotten before to travel and like. Um, and these opportunities are, you know, making, expanding my mind even more uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to places and regions I've never been and being taught about things I've never heard about. And again, like this is all perspective. New perspective uh, creates such a great foundation for learning new things. Um, so I'm just honestly really, really excited to continue to learn stuff and to find ways to like, cause I'm, I'm still learning. I'm learning how to produce still. I can produce records, but I'm always learning something every day. You know, I play an instrument a little bit better and it makes your production stronger and everything that I'm learning just goes right back into my career and my craft. And you know, my goal as a musician is to, you know, do something positive with something that I love to do. Mm-hmm. And that's helping to shift narratives, helping to create changes the way I, I, I've started 
and as I'm build, I can do this in different ways with different packets. You can, you know, transcend that from, you know, Travis Scott was able to put a whole tour together, and 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 I think it was Houston in the documentary he did, you know, because of an amusement park that he really liked, and like I'd like to do things like that, but like for for like bigger reasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. And his ability to do that is cool. I like the way that he's thinking, but, you know, for me, I would do stuff like that, but, like, with a different reason behind it, a different supporting reason behind it. Um, and all of those things are, are being developed now and, and, and in my past. Where I go with this next is, who knows, man, I could talk to somebody today, later today, um, and learn something I never knew, and that's, Damn, there's an idea, and like it's just like it, it, it's so ever moving and ever changing. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for that because there's no stagnancy when you're willing to like change and grow and, and adapt with whatever comes next. And, and that's where I am. I used to be really rigid in making my music, and now you know the only thing that I have to remain true to is my sound. And mm-hmm. I think I found my sound somewhat, and I'm exploring it to find it even more. And outside of that, it could go anywhere. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah. Quick shout out to White Trust Tyler and the crew f- uh, that worked on the Travis Scott documentary. Actually, they're from Nova Scotia. So, a uh, little fun fact for you. Um, where can people sorry, find you? You cut out a bit there. I couldn't hear you. I couldn't even hear you. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say um, the people who worked on the documentary are from Nova Scotia. Uh, so, that, I thought that was a little fun fact. Uh, White Trash Tyler, the main like person behind the doc- documentary for Travis Scott that he just put out? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what's funny? I knew that because I know these guys from a group called Aquaculture. Yes. Um, yeah, they're they're those guys are my boys. Actually, some of them are music. Toronto shooting. Yeah. Cool, so they can educate me. I think sometimes there's a lot of education in Nova Scotia and Halifax because of the history there. Um, so... Yeah, they, one of my boys, Nate, he told me that one of his really good friends who was from uh, Nova Scotia actually did that documentary, so I actually heard that from somebody, so that's really cool. Yeah, this is kind of cool. So where can people find you online? Yeah, I mean, I'd say Instagram is the easiest place to find me in terms of, you know, like announcements and stuff, but that's just my name, Mafia Mighty, H-A-V-I-A-H-M-I-E-H-D-Y. You can find me on Twitter, um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, so my music, it's on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal Music, all that good stuff. So it's everywhere in that right. You can find it there. Um, and yeah, and YouTube, of course. Where you can find visuals would be a buy money on YouTube. Um, start typing the name, it'll pop up. And yeah. All right. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to inter- to do this interview. It was so like impromptu. I just saw you and reached out to your people, and they got back to me very quickly. So I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was like, and I, I really didn't expect anything to come of it. So again, thank you and congratulations. The album is legitimately dope and and this is just coming from somebody like I like I love new artists. I'm I'm too old, to, <laughs> too old to like, to um, to kind of be. I think I, I think a lot of guys in my age group are like kind of stuck in, in more like older music. I'm 38, 
So we tend right. to not always want to listen to new artists, but I'm one who does. So when I say I like it, like I legit like it because you're you're up there with with some of my my other new shit that I I'm been listening to. So. Uh, yeah, that's dope. I appreciate you taking the time for sure. Yes, yes, indeed. All right. Well, um, I'll let you know when this goes out, and uh, hopefully, I'll be able to see you when you're in Halifax. Yeah, sounds good. And yeah, definitely, I hope so. It'll be a, a it'll be a dope show. Yes, a dope two shows actually. Yeah, when I think Wednesday and Saturday, I believe. Is it? Oh, I don't know. No, I have, I have uh, two shows on the same day. Actually. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. One of the two, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm doing a live thing at for Halifax Pop Explosion, um, live podcast recording. So I'll be around anyway. So. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. That's great. Cool. All right. Take care. All right. Thank, thank you, you so much for listening to the Art Pays Me podcast. Thank you to Lange Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets, and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at artpaysme.com or at artpaysme on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.